0: church began. And last week we established that Jesus, as he's establishing the kingdom of God, that wasn't experienced within a religious vacuum. It had real world political consequences and firmly establishes our citizenship within his kingdom and not within any other earthly kingdom that may or may not exist in our lives. In fact, we're given a political role to fill as Christians as we live as strangers in a foreign land. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, just to be transparent, I struggled to read through my notes this morning, so I'm going to do my best to push through. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciled us to Him—that uh, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling. Sorry, I'm having a hard time seeing my notes. Uh, The world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors living in a foreign land sent by our king to promote reconciliation of people to God. That's the role that we've been given as followers of Jesus. Ambassadors represent their leader in all matters of policy and relationship. And when it comes to the part we play in the divisions of earthly kingdoms, it all comes down to what leader we want to represent. And for us, there can be only one So should we vote? I find most people begin their answer to that question with, well, as Americans, which doesn't answer at all why Christians, as citizens of the kingdom of God, would be involved in the process. And to be sure, there are some that feel as though a role as ambassadors precludes any involvement in earthly affairs. But head in the sand isn't a particularly good foreign policy. So I'll rephrase the question to this, why should Christians engage in politics? After all, it's gotten pretty divisive. So far as I've seen believers in Jesus say, if other believers don't vote the way they do, then that person is not a Christian. And i got to say how I wish that folks had the same fervor for sharing the gospel as they do their political platform because there is a distinct difference between the two. Eugene Cho writes in his book, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, when Christians yeah it's great, Um, when Christians pledge blind allegiance to a political power and its leaders and cannot objectively evaluate what a politician states or espouses we travel down a dangerous path. We cease to see the world informed first and foremost by the life and teachings of Christ. Instead, when we allow political allegiances to define us, we distort the Bible to justify our politics and allegiances. Put another way, this is idolatry. So let's deal head on with some of the major issues of the day, the platforms that divide us and how we seek commonality on the foundation of our faith. We'll take four examples of political platforms, just at random. Just kidding, these aren't random choices at all. And So let's go with these. Let's go with concern for the poor, and let's go with racial justice, and and let us put that on the left side of the screen. And then, uh, let's take sanctity of life, and let's take family and sexual ethics, and put those on the right side of the screen. And and just for kicks and giggles, let's just throw a splash of color up there. I know normally I do black background with white text. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Blue and red. Here you have four significant platform issues that are generally associated with the two prominently prevailing political parties, Democrat and Republican. By the way, I understand that this is a simplification, Uh, and that people can hold more complicated views than what is represented here, but we can all agree that this is how things are popularly perceived, right? Right, I know I'm right, so it's okay, we can move on. And if we can suspend our political baggage for a minute, or, you know, maybe for the rest of our lives, we'll find something significant that all four of these issues have in common. On the surface, you'll recognize that all four of these issues deal with people, but as a student of scripture, dig a little deeper, you'll recognize that New Testament Christians were set apart by all four of these things held together in common. So while we might feel different political pressures on these four issues as American citizens, understand that the result of following Jesus, following Jesus led the church to be unified on all of these issues. So unwanted children are saved, Family relationships are built on mutual submission, covenantal relationships between husband and wife and reflect the spiritual nature of the relationship between Jesus and the church. The poor are taken care of and ethnic division is corrected. This separated Christians from the rest of their culture then and it separates us from the rest of our culture now because the citizens of the kingdom of God, we don't see division here. We see unity built on the kingdom Jesus came to establish. By the way, the background is purple. Um, Not just because that's clever, because blue and red make purple, but also because it represents who is our king. It's the color of royalty. And is it Jesus? Is it the kingdom of God? Or is it some other kingdom? What builds tension in us as Christ followers is when we think that the action item on these issues is a vote rather than direct personal involvement in people's lives. While none of our hope, faith, trust, or desire should be for political structures of this world, we engage politically because politics affect people, and people matter to God. And the issues matter in so much as that there are real people who represent these issues. When we vote, that act is really the most passive action we can take, but the work we do leading up to it and after it When it comes to engaging with real people, with real problems, that's what really matters. I'm concerned that the church at large, and this is the big C church, right? We're not just talking about velocity. We're talking about the big C church at large has exchanged the command to love our neighbors for a patriotic expression, but it need not be this way. The self-righteousness, the incredulity that anyone could think any differently, the blatant hypocrisy, and we're just talking about Christians here, has been painful for me to witness. Like I said earlier, I I couldn't make it through reading my notes this morning in preparation for this message. Because I think most damning of all are the barriers to the good news of Jesus that have been placed between people and and our participation in that. People who are part of the same kingdom— And we're meant to be ambassadors alongside of one another, not divided from each other to share what is better than anything else this world has to offer. This past week I had lunch with a friend here from Velocity and he shared some of my same uh, concerns over the level of divisiveness that uh, exists right now and may or may not be softened by the results of this week's election. Um, And he studies how brains work and so we talked about why people are having such a hard time with each other. And so much of that has to do with how we choose to consume and process information, and how it's delivered to us, and how we just take it as a matter of course instead of recognizing that um, there's, some, uh, there's some problematic areas in our life when it comes to how we consume media. Confirmation bias runs rampant, we huddle together in information silos, and we don't respect how anyone else could possibly come to a different conclusion. And I love that he pointed out uh, the scripture that he thinks about when he thinks about where people are right now is Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Uh, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The fact remains, and this is just a reality that we have to come to grips with as followers of Jesus, that there are godly men and women who are taking in information together, joining that information with their life experiences, and prayerfully making the best decision they feel led by the Spirit to make because people matter to God. At least that's how we should be approaching it. Some have blurred the lines, to be sure, between patriotism and nationalism and are missing out on what kingdom they're a citizen of. What will bring us together is remembering this, it's not only about issues, it's about people. People matter to God. And I understand that there's some issues that seem more important than all the others. Maybe there's one particular thing, and it could be a number of different things, uh, that tips the scale for you. And if that's what the Holy Spirit is leading you to in in your political engagement, I wholly respect that. What we've got to understand, however, is this, that self-righteousness in that decision-making process ignores an important fact, and that is that single-issue decisions don't have single-issue consequences. I mean, that's a reality that we all face in our lives. We, we know that that's true in all kinds of things that we've gotten ourselves into trouble over in ways that we didn't even know that we're connected. It would be like someone saying that they have the fruit of the Spirit because they have love, but not any of the others. So no joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. Um, that's not how the fruit of the Spirit works at all. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is singular. is because it requires all of them at the same time. There are reasons whether we care to explore them or walk in someone else's shoes or not, for why Christians, since the birth of this nation have been disagreed, have disagreed on how they vote and engage in the political process, but that doesn't mean that we have to be divided. espousing a biblical worldview on the issues of the day means understanding that without a holistic understanding of God's perspective and, and and as a side note, like presuming that only one side has, has God's perspective in mind and the other is completely devoid, that doesn't help. Any side that we choose without that perspective is, is a mutually assured path to destruction. Uh, one might make us feel better than the other, selfishly or unselfishly, but all human institutions end up the same. The cycle is repeated through Scripture and the pattern of empire And power and authority is cycled throughout the book of Revelation. Most importantly, a king shapes the condition of his people. And as ambassadors of Christ, we have to press into our thinking to understand what is shaping the condition of our unity in him. For Christians, voting is a compromise. Because we're part of a different kingdom, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors don't normally vote, but we engage because politics deal with people, and people matter to God. Voting is a compromise for us, but it doesn't have to compromise us. And when it does, we've got to take a serious look at what king we're listening to and which one we're ignoring. Jesus shares this parable and says this, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. These were people who were on the guest list, but... They couldn't be bothered by the king and his authority because they were wrapped up in their own agendas and affairs. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Oh man, let's just stop there. It's a great parable, all warm and fuzzy. It's about how God invites everyone to the table, and that's amazing. We get to share that. We're all unified. There's no division. It's great. That's exactly how we experience life as Christ followers, right? Okay, we'll keep going. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. That took a turn. In the parable, the unworthy are those who should be prominent citizens and guests because of the status they enjoy as invitees who do not leave their own personal kingdoms behind to celebrate the wedding of a son. In other words, rejecting, you know, the parable is talking about uh, rejecting God as their king because they were only concerned about their own lives and not whose rule they were under. Servants, you know, this represented the relationship God had with the nation of Israel. And so the servants who came to tell the message and and invite, they were prophets, they were killed by the people of God, and the son is Jesus uh, as far as how this relates to Israel. So all, as a result, are welcomed and invited, and there's plenty of room. And your worth is based on the inviter, not you as the invitee. But it does matter whether or not you show up in a worthy manner. And if your words and actions are not clothed with Christ, you aren't who God has called you to be. So vote, sure. But not because you have made politics an idol in your life. Don't vote your conscience, because unless you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind, It might be totally leading you astray, calling evil good and good evil. And don't vote for Jesus because they couldn't be more beneath him or more offensive. The platforms, politics, and personalities that you vote for all have consequences. All of them do. But when you see your engagement as a way to love others... And as the compromise that it is as an ambassador of a different kingdom, you will cease to base eternity on a temporary action and see it only as a small piece of the real work to which we are all called. So be intentional about understanding a biblical worldview of how we approach these areas in our lives. Learning why someone has a different view for you than you. Your, your homework, for example, would be to challenge your own biases, to seek out the perspective of someone else who's had a different life than you, and comes to a different political conclusion, and, and discover why you have commonality as human beings made in the image of God. Secondly, and you can discuss, discuss later uh, over lunch with a friend or family member which one of these you think would be more difficult, uh, the shortcomings of your preferred political platform should be readily apparent to you as a Christian. And you should be able to recall it and share that openly and honestly, just as you would any other issue that you care about. If they are not, then you have put too much faith in that platform. I gave you four issues that Christians were conspicuously different in as the early church called by Jesus to follow him. And so if you vote for one of the major party platforms, you need to know that you've barely scratched the surface in what God has called us to do in our personal responsibility to meet the needs of those we're called to care for. Remember, Jesus doesn't teach about voting, that's not a thing that that scripture talks about because while God is in control, empires do not accomplish the purposes of the kingdom of God. Thirdly, if what happens on Tuesday, or however long it takes to tally the votes, determines who you are on Wednesday, then you've forgotten your wedding garment. When we stand before God, our voting record isn't going to determine whether we go to heaven or hell, but the way in which we come to our conclusions and treat others as a result just might. May we understand that the consequences of our choices and our words and our actions go far beyond concepts and far beyond socio-political issues. They affect the trajectory of the lives of real people. And while the results of an election have no bearing on God being king, how we engage reveals whether or not he's our king. So as we share in this moment right now, as we've worshiped through God's Word, and, and we take a moment to share and gather around a common wedding feast table and share communion together, I, I want to ask for us to meditate on, on what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God, who are ambassadors whose role is the ministry of reconciliation. That, that, that it's not the next four years and the na- next eight years are in balance, but eternity is. And, and that is what our call is from God to, to engage in. And, and that should be the way we qualify and we quantify how we engage in worldly political structures and anything else in our lives. So this morning, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. We've got communion uh, in tables uh, around the room. And, and so after I pray, and there's going to be music playing, uh, feel free to get up as you um, are ready uh, to share in that time together. Um, but be be present in this moment right now, the foundation that we're called to live our lives on. And that's on the resurrection of Jesus, the victorious Battle, war has already been won. We are unified together in him as a result. Living sacrifice. So let us pray and let us meditate on who we are because of him. God, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to get through this this morning. Um, and God, I, I, don't, I don't believe I've said anything that uh, is, is new um, and, and maybe, I, I don't even know how challenging uh, anyone who will hear this message might, might find it to be. Uh, but God, I know the implications are real. And I know the, uh, the way the division uh, affects us is real. And I know the way that those who don't know you yet view it. I, I know how that impact is real god i I ask you um, not not just here for this this congregation, um, knowing that we're going to have people who who make different decisions when it comes to uh, this this time in our, in our lives but God as as a church that that we might be mindful of how our words and actions are affecting the eternal trajectory of others and god I ask that you convict us of moving beyond passive expressions of truth to actually living it out among people who desperately need your love. God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.